Front. My name is John Murphy. Very happy to be with you once again here on WILI. You might be catching us live at AM 1400 or FM 95.3. We also record our shows for YouTube, and they're posted for people to catch 24-7 anytime. And it's part of our weekday block from 5 to 6 p.m. every Monday through Friday. All those shows are posted, so we give people more and more chances to get information and to hear from our guests each week. So our show is very busy again. We're going to hear uh, in the second part of the show from the Voices of Consinity, a very interesting vocal choir that's based in Connecticut. They do a lot of vocal performances, and they also do special events to raise funds for local organizations. So we're going to talk about the work that they do. Also, at the end of the program, we're going to talk about uh, a growing movement across the state to form tenant unions. This will be our third program in a series. A lot of people are getting very stressed about rent increases. Landlords are getting stressed about tenants who are now unable to pay their rent. And there's a lot of breakdown in the accountability of local towns and zoning boards. So we're going to have another conversation with people in Putnam who've been having quite a bit of trouble. And they formed a tenants union. But that's later. Right now, I'm going to open with one of my favorite subjects is radio. That's why we're here on WILI, and I've got two people here very involved with radio that are going to talk about an event happening in October at the Packing House about the history of radio. So we're going to take a few minutes to talk about this event. Just keep track of Tuesday, October 17th at 7 o'clock at the Packing House. And we're here today on my far right. I'm very happy to have Ryan Elgin with us. He's the assistant director of ECCHAP, the Eastern Connecticut Center for History, Art, and Performance. They're on Route 32, up in uh, just a few miles north of us in Ellington. I'm sorry, Willington, I should say. Route 32, Willington. And next to me is a radio cohort, Morgan Cunningham from WTIC. He's the morning news anchor, and he also does talk shows on the weekends. He's been with radio here locally for many, many years. It's great to have you guys in the house. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. There we go. Uh, So what we'll do to start out with is give Ryan a chance to talk about this series, which started in the fall, or in the spring, I should say, And we're trying to bring attention to radio as it comes to some very historic changes. So, Ryan, thanks for all the good work you're doing to make this happen. Thank you. And kind of give us an idea of what you're trying to do up there. Well, uh, we started back in May, actually, of the uh, History of Radio Part 1 in Connecticut. Uh, We had John Ellsworth of the Vintage Radio and Communications Museum uh, of Connecticut up in, I think that's in Vernon, and he introduced the topic. Um, We're looking for an an overview, a chronological history of the history of radio in Connecticut. Um, And he kind of started us off with, um, what is radio? How did radio waves get discovered? Marconi, Morse, what did we use before radio? Carrier pigeons, et cetera. Um, And he kind of laid the groundwork for this part two coming up in October. Right. And that's why I'm here with Morgan, because he and I were asked to prepare the second part. So what we're going to do is look at Connecticut and how different kinds of radio evolved over the years. So we're not going to do a whole lot of stations because for a small state, we actually have a lot of radio stations. But we're going to look at commercial radio on the AM side, on the FM side, you know, top 40 progressive radio, religious radio, country radio, college radio, and even web radio. So, Morgan, what comes to mind as you're thinking about the panel and trying to tell the story? What's coming to your mind of how we can bring people into this history beyond just listening? 
I think that people need to know Connecticut has a very rich history when it comes to radio. As you mentioned, people might not necessarily think that when they come to Connecticut. When they think of Connecticut, maybe, I don't know, pizza comes to mind. We've got great pizza in Connecticut. A lot of people agree on that. Um, a lot of people argue about that. People do argue about that, too. It's a great conversation piece. But I will tell you that there is a lot of radio history here in Connecticut. And what I want to do with this conversation we'll be doing on the 17th, I believe uh, we'll be opening the doors at 6.30 and going live and talking amongst ourselves at about 7 o'clock or so. But what we're going to be doing is focusing more so on um, how radio has impacted people in Connecticut, different audiences. You know, we could get into some real minutiae, John, yeah. about who did what, who said what, who got paid what, and all these crazy things yeah. involving yeah. radio history, but that's not necessarily why we're here. We want to talk that's about right. how radio in Connecticut has impacted people, uh, how it's evolved um, through society here in Connecticut. I mean, we might talk about some national things, but we'll focus mostly on Connecticut radio. And uh, it has changed a lot. But what a lot of stations in Connecticut are doing today is what they did when they started in the 20s or the 30s, and that is being about local people and local audiences. Um, I can speak for my station, WTIC. We went on the air in 1925, and ever since then, for 98 years, almost 99, we've been talking about news, community issues. We've had local entertainment on. And yes, some things have changed. Um, obviously, we don't have a studio orchestra anymore, that being a very obvious change. And that's something that we could talk about. Radio stations did have studio orchestras once upon a time. Um, but the overall mission is still the same, and that is being local. And I think that when you look at many stations in Connecticut, that's the overarching similarity between now and their past and i think it's a big part of the future yeah in fact you know when ryan was talking about the first part of the series it was almost like history up to 1920 when the idea of a radio station came to be and then the networks followed a few years later and that's where radio became the first electronic national medium for the president to address the nation live historic things were happening and then in 1950, around that time, TV came along. It kind of took away a lot of the content from radio. It kind of stole a lot of attention just the way radio had. So radio survived by localizing, which is what Morgan's talking about. Radio dealt with a challenge when its audience moved to another medium. Well, everyday life goes on. We can talk about your hometown, your local music scene. And all of a sudden, this music comes out, formats, and now stations have real identities, and we have so many formats today, it's overwhelming how many choices people have. So we're looking more at the structural things. What kind of radio? Exactly. And yeah. um, like you said, television came along, and next thing you know, all of the dramas and the uh, entertainment and the skits, you know, things that we would consider now to be the golden age of radio or old-time radio where people were literally acting out scenes and dramas on oh, yeah. broadcast radio. And I mentioned the studio orchestras. That was a That's big right. part of it. Huge. Well, by the time 
television came along that wasn't necessary anymore. So you saw the rise of Top 40 and playing music on the radio come the 1960s. You saw the rise of all news radio stations, um, one of them being WCBS New York, that comes to mind. Um, but there were a number of those that came up and popped up across the country at that time. So what they were doing was finding out, okay, well, this doesn't work for us anymore and we need to stay relevant, and so we've got to find out new ways to do so. You mentioned religious radio. That's been popular since day one. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, that hasn't necessarily changed. I mean, you've got prayer services. You have, um, I was listening to a radio program on a religious station that was talking about money and God and how that was related, and they had a very interesting argument about that. Sure. And so that has been going on for the last 100-plus years, and so... There have been a number of different ways that people have made relevant radio all this time. And That's so we're right. going to explore that in Connecticut. And, you know, another kind of radio that grew up along this same time is college radio, where universities got licenses. And this year, in uh, 2023, WHOS Radio at UConn is 100 years old. They went on the air in 1923. WABL was their initial call letters. They had been on before earlier, but that was in the experimental period. So they're a college station with a long history. They'll be at the session as well because Connecticut has a lot of college stations. Some of them are larger than others, but they're trying to do alternative programming, giving students a chance to practice, to get ready for careers. So it's another way for radio to serve. And then, of course, we have public radio. Mm -hmm. I have to mention Connecticut Public. So this is what we'll be looking at on the 17th. But while we have a few minutes to go, I want to give Ryan a chance to talk about the center because they do special things throughout the year. They have a wonderful gallery space. They got a grant recently to upgrade the physical plant of this mill to have it restored. So can you talk about the other things you guys are doing throughout the year at the center? Sure. Uh, EC CHAP is the shortened version of the very long nonprofit name yeah. of Eastern Connecticut Center for History, Art, and Performance. Right. And our mission is to engage the senses, ignite the creative spirit, and preserve local history. And we do that through a couple facets. We have the Gardner Hall Junior History Museum, the Diane Bleach House Community Gallery that you mentioned, and also the Packing House Performance Venue. Um, you mentioned some grants. We actually have a grant going on right now, should be completing in end of October, for our museum. Total facelift of the museum, new carpeting, new display cases, new text panels. So it's going to be a nice unveiling of that. Nice. We'll talk about that for sure. I want to mention the website, too, because anything we're talking about, there's two websites to follow up. One is for the center. It's ec-chap, C-H-A-P.org, ec-chap.org, or thepackinghouse.us, which is a performance venue. And they do events throughout the year as well. They have a Jimi Hendrix Film Festival in October and November looking at rare footage and old TV shows and concert footage of Jimi Hendrix. Do you want to run down what the Packing House does throughout the year, too? That's a, that's a major local venue. Yes, I actually have some events right here. Um, tonight, actually, there's going to be a talent showcase. We offer these monthly. That's right. Uh, totally free for everybody to come. You can BYOB if that interests you. Sure. Uh, featuring local and regional performers displaying any talent they have, uh, acoustic music, a cappella, uh, juggling. Uh, everybody's welcome to attend. I think we actually have tonight, it's at 7, 7 p.m. tonight, mm -hmm. and it's, it's totally booked, so should be a good one tonight. We also have a monthly poetry series now. That's new this year. It just started last month. Uh, again, totally free for local poets and spoken word artists to display their work in front of a live audience. Right. Um, 
for music, I'll just mention one musical act upcoming. Sure. October 28th, we're going to have Sonoro, who is a Connecticut uh, trio, strings and piano, and they're going to be playing acoustic music, their own original work, um, kind of like a genre-defying jazz, blues, Latin fusion kind of music coming up on October 28th. It's nice how so many bands now are really putting aside the labels and they're just mixing rhythms and instruments in new ways and the fusion and mashups are really interesting what yeah. they're coming up with, acoustic or electric. And they do jazz, they do bluegrass, folk, uh, all genres throughout the year. It's a good venue. I have to say I've been there many times. It's upstairs and it's all wood and glass. So you have very nice sight lines. The acoustics are really nice. It's a bright room, actually, mm -hmm. but it's a really nice layout, and you don't need to have a lot of, of volume. The sound carries really nicely yep. without holding your ears, you know. Yep. No stacks of marshals. Built in 1870, if you can believe it. There you go. Oh, you can see some of the wood restored, too. It's mm -hmm. awesome. Well, I always like going there because it feels like I'm experiencing history while I'm currently enjoying something new and yeah. present, new music, yeah. new performance, but yet we're in this facility that's older and historic. I love it. Right. So once again, that's ec-chap.org and thepackinghouse.us. In case you joined us during the conversation today, we're talking today with Ryan Elgin and Morgan Cunningham. There's a special radio event on Tuesday, October 17th at 7 o'clock uh, at the Packing House. <clears throat> we talked before about what we're trying to do. Morgan, what do you think some of the takeaways could be? If people make it, if they listen to radio at all, cars or otherwise, what are some of the things that we're hoping to have people remember about radio? I think that, you know, for the most casual listener, whenever I do a newscast, whenever I do a talk show, I try to think about the most casual listener, the guy driving a dump truck going down the highway listening for maybe five minutes. I think that what people at that level or the most devoted radio fans of all, I think that what we all should take away from this conversation is that you can't replace local media. There are people in the community, very engaged in the community, that follow news um, from very, you know, in the weeds, local stories to stories of major national impact that uh, impact everybody in Connecticut, no matter what corner of the state you're in. And I think that people who listen to radio for any amount of time should know that there are people that work very hard to do that and also entertain people, and, uh, and we're there for them when things go wrong or when things are good and, and word needs to get out to people. And I think that that's one thing that unites all these radio stations together. Everybody does it differently. That's part of the fun too. But it's part of the fun and it's part of the mission. Yeah. And, and you know, with so many issues at the national level beginning to affect everyday life, yeah. people are looking for solutions, and a lot of them start locally. They grow from the bottom up, not the top down. Exactly. And that's where local media helps people argue peacefully, pro and con, you know, whatever the issues are. It's a safe, it's kind of a safe space. You're an example of this. You're going to be talking about the Putnam Tenants Union. There you go. No one, who else is going to do that? Yeah. You know, local, local radio, local media, local newspapers, that's who's okay. going to take that on. Right. So that's kind of what we're looking at for the radio. And then, you know, Ryan's already planning ahead for part three to finish the series off later, maybe in the winter sometime. It's the future of radio. Where's radio going? How is radio connecting to the Internet and websites and your telephone to adapt to the new technology, still maintain its work, but add to it? And that's kind of where part three is going to go, right? 
Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've already radio is has taken on. It's already expanding out a little bit. Um, there's live streaming now with radio and, right. and recordings. Yeah. Um, but also, where can it go to survive and still thrive in a world where, well, there's a billion niche podcasts out there and, and different kind of multimedia options for people? So where can radio go from here? That's right. You know, you can travel the world, but you end up in your driveway at the end of the day, in your bed somewhere. That's where radio can really help you out. So thank you guys for the good work you're doing. I hope we have a great turnout. And we'll look forward to seeing you on October 17th, Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Thanks See you then, John. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Okay, we'll take a short break and come back. You stay with us here on the home front. We'll be right back. Okay, so we got some photos. We're good? Yes. Okay, thank you, guys. We covered all the bases with enough detail to kind of tease people. This will air next week. It might air twice on ECS, and then I'll get you guys the link. Okay. Cool. Thank okay. you. Thank you, John. And then we'll use email. So I'll, you know, as soon as I get a yes, I'll let you know, uh, and then we'll figure out, you know, and the more the merrier. We'll, we'll have a radio food fight if we have to. All right. I fun. like that. Okay. <laughs> okay <laughs> Sounds man. good. Thanks a lot for coming in. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank Ryan. You. Okay. Give my best to Tom. All right. Well, we'll see you guys soon. Take care. Is Sarah out there waiting? No. Oh well. Live radio at its best, Morgan. <laughs> there you go. Ad lib. I'm going to run now. <laughs> run now, man. It could get ugly in the Take, room. I, I've been there. Take care. I know you've been there. Anybody's been there at some we, point. Not all of us, right. Take care. Oh, wow. No shit. Wow. That's interesting. Okay, let me see. Uh, wow, wow, wow. Let me check. Uh, hold on a second. All right. I'll throw on the commercials. Just for a second. I've got plenty of information because uh, we're going to call uh, Katie mm -hmm. about 535. And I may call her a few minutes early if I need to. But I, I have plenty of stuff to cover here. My calendar is always loaded. And, and we have that song, which is cool. Yes. All right, so I'm going to leave this here. I put on a couple more commercials just okay. so you have some time. Wow. So, because Sarah's, th th I think this will be her third time. Or yeah. fourth. She's usually very good. So something something must be up. Do you want your phone to CC? Yeah. Do I have time right now? What's yeah. our time like? Yeah, I put on uh, another three minutes of commercials. Okay, and then we'll three and a half, yeah. Then we'll come back. Uh, let me see. Uh, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, something. Something's also that she confirmed. Because they always send people a friendly reminder two or three days out. Yeah. I always do that because I've learned. Right. And uh, she did respond, and she sent me this audio at 2 o'clock today. But uh, we'll see what happens. Their event, well, there's no time. Next week is booked. But we'll, uh, we'll do a little ad lib. I'll keep my eye out just in case, too. Okay. Mm -hmm. Friday, October 13th, so next next week might match. Uh, so I think what we'll do is... Uh, let me get this out of here. This is for the phone call with this. I've got some news here. Uh... Talked about this last week. 
How are we doing? Another minute? Two. Two minutes? Yep. Good. Okay. Some of the stuff I'm going to drop out. Blood on the cat's neck. This will go. Adam's family is good. Scott Higgins All-Stars. Contra Bread Box Theater. Saturday the 30th is done. Okay. So we're okay. So what we'll do is when this is finished, we will give some news, and then uh, I'll play the song, and during the song we'll give that call. Okay. All right. Cool. And let me see. We're going to go here. So how am I doing? I'm Matt. Hmm. It's unusual for me to have free time like this, so that's all right. To try a few pictures and see how they come out of me doing this kind of thing. Let's okay. just see. I don't want to be too much of a geek, but we'll see if anything comes out. seconds it is okay three two one okay we're back live here on the home front my name is John Murphy very happy to have you here we're on the air live on WILI at 5 to 6 p.m. on Wednesdays uh, which live radio our programs are videotaped for the WILI YouTube channel where all the 5 to 6 p.m. shows are recorded and made available. The whole idea is to give our guests as much exposure as we can. I, I also produce programs on Wednesdays up at the Eastern Radio Station, WECS, at Eastern Connecticut State University from 12 to 3. Many of these programs are repeated up there on WECS to give our guests extra exposure. And we have time to do more music than we do here. But it's two local shows trying to get local stories out. And we do publish information in Neighbors, a wonderful regional magazine, newspaper. I'm sure you see Neighbors. It comes out monthly. It's a great resource. Uh, it's online. So if you ever miss a copy, because this is available for free in like 22 towns, thousands of copies all around the region for free. But if you ever miss an issue, it's online, neighborspaper.com. And you can get an archive of all the great articles every month. There's a whole team of volunteers. They write aspects, of, you know, they write about aspects of, you know, community living, their calendars of events. It's a good resource every month. So please check that out. And we also have a listing of our shows. For the last part of our show today in a few minutes, we're going to focus on the growing movement in Connecticut to get tenant unions organized. There's been a lot of housing stress. People are being hit with very high rents. Landlords are finding many tenants are in financial trouble and can't pay their rents, so it's a bad mix. And so tenants are organizing to protect their interests. So we'll talk about that more with people who are working in Putnam on a really serious problem up there. 
But I do have some news I want to share with you. Next Saturday, October 14th, is the next Repair Cafe. It's a wonderful movement around the world. It's based, uh, it started in Europe, and the whole idea is don't throw things away. Try to fix them first. And the Repair Cafe is where you bring things from your attic, maybe your garage, things that you might throw out, but maybe it's a broken wire or something is loose. And you know and I know finding a repair stop is very hard these days. There's so much of a throwaway mentality. We've forgotten what it's like. So four times a year there's a repair cafe. Volunteers come from all over to help you fix things for free. And it's at the First Congregational Church a couple of blocks away from our studio, uh, 199 Valley Street from 10 to 2 p.m., uh, and again, that's Saturday the 14th, and it's for knives to be sharpened, bicycles, clothing, ceramics, all kinds of things are done every year, and it's all volunteers. So that's uh, on the 14th. I want to make sure to notice that. I got an email from Bruce John. The Breadbox Fall 2023 music series is underway. It starts out October 8th with John Poussette Dart and Jim Chapdelaine and uh, Mark Manville and Rayanne Richards. The concert series are always Sundays at 4 o'clock at the uh, beautiful sanctuary at uh, St. Paul's Church right there in Willimantic. It starts again October 8th. The whole series is available. Uh, if you go to breadboxfolk.org, you'll get the whole schedule and how to get tickets. Breadboxfolk.org. Thank you, Bruce, John, and Therese. A couple of more things. Up at Eastern, we talked about this last week briefly. There's a great uh, kind of a theater projection program called, uh, it's called Blood on a Cat's Neck. It's based on uh, the writings in the cinema of Rainer Runner Fassbinder, and they do projection and theater movement. It's going to be at Easter on October 12th to the 15th at the Proscenium Theater. So please check out the arts at Easter, and they have a whole year of events coming our way. So what I'm going to do now is feature uh, some music for a few minutes before we get to our next segment. This is from a local group. They're very good. It's called the Threads, uh, Thread City Jazz Trio. And this is Anthony Cornicello, Rick O'Neill, who are both faculty members in the music program at Eastern, as well as Matt Bronson on percussion. Anthony plays piano and you know, Rick O'Neill is on bass. This collection came out, I guess, a year or so ago. It's a really nice mix of some jazz standards, and they do a real nice rendition of a couple of tunes here. So we'll do one right now as we get ready for our phone call about tenants' unions and housing problems in Putnam. This one is a cover. I think we decided to do a Charlie Parker classic, Billy's Bounce.
I don't uh, I don't quite hear her yet. Maybe the volume. Oh, there we go. Let's see if uh hi Katie. Yep. Oh, good. Can you hear me okay, Katie? I can hear you okay. Oh, very nice. Well, thanks for sharing some time today. You know, it's good. This is our third conversation with people about tenant unions. So this mm. will be a chance to tell your story as one example of people organizing when the normal system is just not working the way you thought it would. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, this system is not out of control. It's not out of our hands. It's not unfixable. People just have yeah. to think a little differently about how to manage. Yeah, it, well, in, in fact, I mean, I feel like the housing crisis as it currently stands, it's um, it's actually the system working as intended. We've just reached, like, the crisis point that was going to happen as, you know, we handed over housing to financialize, like, institutions and things like right, that. Right. So we're, we're dealing with, like, the crisis as a result of that. Right. Uh, and also, is it Slinninger? Is that correct, Slinninger? Uh, Slinninger. Yes. Slinninger. Okay, I just want to make sure to get it right. Thank you, Katie. Thanks so no much. Problem. All righty, we're just about ready to roll here. Stand by. Excellent. Okay, thank right. you. I really have to go, so I'll just pay, I'll just pay for it. Yeah. I really am in a rush. Sorry. Okay, Thank we're you. back live here on the home front on WILN. Our topic now to close out our show is a growing movement across Connecticut for tenant unions. And I'm on the phone today with someone in the Putnam area. Her name is Katie Slinninger, and she lives there with her husband and her three-year-old son. And the location is the lofts at Cargo Falls Mill. It's in a, a, a fairly new apartment complex in the area. And they've been having troubles with the physical condition of the facilities, and they've been having real problems getting them fixed. So, Katie, thank you for sharing some time today and for all the work you've done for many months to show us an example of how our normal system is not working that well these days. Yeah, thank you for having me. So maybe uh, without losing us in all the details, but the issue is lead, mold, health issues, water leaks, basic landlord issues of buildings, and these were supposed to be fairly new and restored, and things didn't work out quite that way. So could you talk about how this started for you and how you got to the sure. point where you had to organize and not just act alone? Yeah, and like you're saying, so we're at the Lofta Cargo Falls Mill in Putnam, um, and it was a new, fairly new redevelopment project. Um, it was only open about uh, three and a half. Um, and we were in that, almost in the very first wave of tenants that were in the building for the very first time. Um, and part of the appeal was it was newly renovated. Everyone kind of assumed everything would be, you know, totally set. I raised my kid there for several years. He's he's actually four now, but he um, he grew up there since he was 18 months old. Wow. And then okay. um, this past Christmas, we all got letters from the local health department, um, the NDDH, telling us that a toddler had been severely lead poisoned in their unit. And it turned out that that unit had 4,800 times the EPA limit for lead dust in their apartment. And this child was severely injured from the lead. I mean, he's going to deal with the health effects for the rest of his life. Um, and that was a two-year-old at the time. And you so, did say 4,800 yeah. times. Was that correct? Yeah. So, okay. so the wow. EPA limit for lead dust um, on a square foot of flooring is 10 micrograms per square foot. This child's unit was 48,000 micrograms of lead in a square foot of flooring. 
So he was literally breathing in lead. It wasn't like eating lead chipped paint. Mm -hmm. It was actually in the air. Wow. So how did this get to be a public uh, fact that people began to share concerns about? So when we first got that letter, like I said, it was right up. Um, by, um, and so as a parent, I was one of the first people to get a lead inspection just because that's the way the law works. Um, you know, in, in a unit with a kid under six, they're manda- mandated to have an inspection. So right away, um, there was about seven families that, that um, had kids six, and all of us immediately got lead inspections and the results, all of us had um, hazardous levels of lead whether it was lead paint that was still exposed and not encased, like in regular remediation, um, or lead dust or a combination of the two. Um, and so that all happened by uh, mid to late January. At the same time that we were going through that inspection process, we started organizing as tenants and meeting together. And by the third week of, third or fourth week of January, it was still in the month of January, we um, voted to establish our tenant union. So the question would be, uh, there is a management company. Every, you know, you have a level of ownership, and then you have the people that are hands-on managing the property physically, and that's a company. Right. Can, can you talk about the relationship between you folks as tenants and then the management company that you normally call with an issue and then the town government who's supposed to oversee mm-hmm. health issues and manage uh, problems? Yeah, so... Um so, for, so in terms of our actual landlord, she's always been an absentee landlord in the town of Putnam. Um, she owns other properties. The other properties are multifamily homes, um, most of which have been condemned, and, were, and two of them were condemned last year with families still living in them. And then she still has held on to this property, um, but she's been absent in terms of accountability for those other condemned homes. The town couldn't find her. They had to pay, Putnam had to pay for the relocation of those families. Wow. Um, And then she has continued to own this property, but I think because it's mediated by Conover Residential, our management company, in fact, I know, the reason it's mediated by them, you know, whether they're working on a contract or whatever, they are actually still responsible for maintaining the property. So we've been focusing our leverage on Conover, um, and in terms of the town, it's that we're in a, we, we have such a, there are a few like unique aspects to our case. And also it is a pretty extreme case for a lot of reasons that, I mean, it could take a whole hour to go through all of it, but. Um, well, could but, you talk uh, briefly about, uh, you know, without all the details, what are the mm-hmm. areas that make it extreme? What aspects? Yeah. So, um, well, the lead in and of itself, um, that involves like, um, potential criminal neglect, um, and in terms of, we can't obviously speak to responsible parties because one, we don't know fully, and also right. there's ongoing litigation. Sure, um, understood. So That's... yeah, and and so still, we found out about this end of December. Still, not everyone has had a lead inspection. They the only their legal mandate was those original seven units, which they um, inspected and and abated. Which you know I could. Uh, my personal opinion is it wasn't a full remediation, um, which I think I'm still worried about the levels of lead in my unit, even though we had abatement. Um, so there's still that ongoing. Um, 
the mold and the water leak leaking is right. based in like some structural issues. Um, we there's a ton of unsealed masonry because this is an old um, one of the oldest mills in the country, um, and what we've pieced together as tenants, and again, there's so many parties involved because this is such a massive development project. It is. That's true. Um, yeah, but the, in terms of what we can tell like has happened or did not happen is it looks like construction stopped suddenly halfway through the development project. Between the lead, not, the lead dust not be, being cleaned up, um, drywall um, not, not reaching the ceiling in most units, um, Whoa. Uh, yeah, like not, there's no ceiling around pipes that go through floors so you can like look up into other floors. Um, the unsealed masonry just sweats moisture or it, when it rains, it pours down walls. Like there's this one basement wall facing the Quinnebog River and um, it's a long, like 20 foot long stone wall that's a residential hall um, and it is all unsealed masonry and when it rains it's like a water fe- it's like a 20 foot long water feature yeah we had some and heavy rains lately too some heavy yeah, rains. It, yeah seriously yeah so that has almost been more of an acute problem for a lot of people because you know if you don't have a child you know lead hazards can be fairly low depending on the, the specifics but um people's upper respiratory health has taken a huge um hit there's people with that are otherwise healthy that get asthma symptoms Mm-hmm. Um, including me. Last winter, when you start closing your windows, you know, and, and you're breathing more of the internal air. My last fall and winter, as we started to close windows more, my kid ended up in the hospital like four times with upper respiratory illnesses that his doctor thinks is related to mold. And he was out of school for like seven full weeks. So the, you know, the air quality, whether it's lead or mold, that is like the health issue that we're facing. But it goes back to these structural issues um, that, you know, seem rooted in the original, con- like, development project and right. lack of proper construction. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, that's one of the leads that kind of connects the dots for us here on the program yeah. because other areas are undergoing massive renovations now. Mm-hmm. There's a huge demand for apartments and other kinds of housing, and people are putting them up pretty fast. And you wonder yeah. about quality when things go that fast. Yes, uh, you do. <laughs> and, and you know, if you have historic buildings, that's another skill level that is not commonly mm-hmm. known. And I just wondered, have you heard from other folks in the state? I know you had coverage on WINY, a great local mm-hmm. station in Putnam. But have you heard from other people that have had similar troubles with their landlords? Yeah, I mean, when we first got started, we were doing a lot of research into people who have dealt with lead issues that were similar just to kind of see how the cases played out. Um, lead is definitely becoming, I wonder, you know, it, it is interesting as a phenomenon. I do think lead has become part of the public discourse around housing. Um, even Biden passing um, some increased restrictions and regulations on lead. That's right. Very, within the past few weeks, yeah. So, um, you know, I think as the tenant movement gets going in Connecticut, you know, we're part, we're a branch of the Connecticut Tenants Union. I'm actually going to a rally in Weathersfield later today. Um, every other week there's been like a tenant rally in Connecticut, um, whether it's, and most of them are through Connecticut Tenants Union. Um, so we're definitely picking up steam and we're, you know, we're in communication with each other. Lots of people have absentee landlords. 
Um, lots of towns hand over public funds to private developers and private landlords that then, you know, yeah. take the money and let structures rot with human families inside of them. I mean, it's, it's atrocious. It's, it's really disgusting. And let alone this, this um, there's a New England initiative generally to remediate brownfield sites like old mills and turn them into housing. That's right. And I, and I love that idea. I mean, there's plenty of benefits. We love the mill for a lot of reasons. One being um, it actually runs completely on hydropower because of, you know, the existing structure of the mill. It used to run on hydropower. They were able to, you know, renovate that. And, That's right. Yeah. So that is a huge positive to these sites. But without public accountability and letting landlords just have, like, they commit, you know, crimes. I'm not saying which landlords are what crimes, but crimes against, you know, humanity in terms of how they treat people. Um, with that money, and it's like we can use these structures and fully renovate them, make them healthy for humans, not only from the outset, but in terms of maintenance. And in my personal opinion, um, that comes when tenants have control over their own living conditions, whether that's collective power in the tenant union um, or through increased regulation through the state. Um, we've got to see some changes for sure. Well, I just want to mention, in case you've joined us on the program today, we're on the phone uh, right now with Katie Slinninger. She lives in Putnam with her husband and their three-year-old son at the Lofts at Cargo. I'm sorry, Cargill Falls Mill. It's an mm -hmm. apartment complex. Uh, I had Lucas on the program a few weeks ago out of New Haven from the Connecticut Tenants Union. Mm -hmm. So folks can, you know, do a Google search on Connecticut Tenants Union, Cargill Falls Tenant Union. And when you strategize with people about connecting your own dots, when town regulations are not adequate and state laws aren't specific enough, how do we focus energy on local town people at your local government or your state senator or representative? Where do you put the pressure where you might get a change? That's a really good question. And, you know, it might depend on which tenant you ask because, you know, we all we have some strategic differences depending on what town we're in and, and things like that. Um, however, um, for us in Putnam, it's interesting because something like lead regulations exist, and they're actually pretty stringent. Um, but there's, in terms of the process for um, getting inspections, it's always reactive, right? It's If a kid gets sick, then they will go in and inspect it. And so, you know, for us, we're seeing... It's not so much a gap in regulation, which mostly exists. Even mold, the, the state recently passed regulations. But if you cannot make, if you cannot get together with a collective group that's large and can put financial pressure on your landlord, we did a rent strike and managed to get the state to interfere because, you know, we we showed that we were willing to work collectively and withhold our rent until the problem was addressed. Um, so for me, I think the power comes and the pressure comes from you first have to have a collective group and that should be, you know, the tenants in your building or the tenants in your town. Um, and in Putnam, it's for us, we've been attempting to get a code inspection from Putnam since January wow. and they've successfully just ignored us. I mean, we go to town meetings, we um, again, we had the rent strike we do. Um, we did a public demonstration three weeks ago. Um, and because the town, I, 
we can't figure out exactly how to get the town to come in um, because they're, I think what's going on is they're afraid of speculation that if it is as bad as, it, as we know it is and they have that confirmed, they will probably be financially responsible for either relocating people temporarily or permanently. Um, and, and anyway, there, there's like a liability issue involved. And so they've successfully yeah. just, they went silent and they are completely ignoring us. Um, and so we're try, you know, we've tried to circumvent them through the state, but because of where we are geographically, right. the, the department of housing has like, I'm in a state subsidized unit and I can't even get someone from the state to respond to me. Um, so we're kind of in the wild west, you know, maybe where we are in the, in the city center, you know, there's the visibility is different. There's a lot of different factors. Your press strategy is probably a little different, but the number one step is talk to your neighbors, talk to people in your town who rent, find out what we all face a variation of the same conditions because this is it, the logical end of deregulation and a lack of public accountability and public control over housing. Um, so that's the first step. And then from that point, you know, you hook in with the movement, which is, you know, there's an autonomous tenant union network across the country. Um, there's tenant a tenant union movement basically popping up in every state, and we're all learning from each other. So if you're in Connecticut, there's a hotline on the CTTU website, the Connecticut Tenants Union website. And if you have uh, two, a group of two tenants together, we consider that the starting point for being able to organize and get control over your own health and your own safety and your own living conditions. Yeah, it starts small. Uh, you know, a couple of people connect the dots themselves, and they begin to talk yeah. to other people. They connect the dots. And mm -hmm. we'll stay with the story. I really appreciate you joining us today, Katie Slinninger. She's uh, in the Putnam area. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's also, a, we had folks here from the Wyndham Mills. They have a, they, they have a tenant union as well. We had Jared Yeah, they're on. doing great work. They are. So we're going to track the story. We'll stay in touch. I know you're waiting for some big test results in November, mm -hmm. I think, right? You said November? Yeah, we successfully pressured the state to um, interve intervene because uh, they no one was going to do a lead inspection if it didn't come out of our own pockets unless we asked unless we got the state to step in. Yeah. So they released seventy two thousand dollars to do a complete lead inspection of every unit, every common area, um, and we'll get the results from that at the end of this month. And so we'll kind of know where to go from from there, um, and we'll definitely keep you guys updated. That's great, Katie. Well, we'll. You know, wait for that, and we'll stay in touch. In the meantime, we'll have some other folks on from other parts of the state as well, keeping Perfect. this thing going. But thanks for your good work, and I wish you well. I hope everybody stays healthy, and we'll stay in touch. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Okay. Thank you. Okay, a last-minute change here. I'm very happy to have Sarah Kofeld back in the house. She's been on the program a few times before. She's with the Voices of Consinity and the Consonaire Vocal Community. They're fantastic vocalists, and they go to different events outside, inside. They raise funds for organizations, and they all use the voice, and they have a formal professional presentation, and they have community programs, all working with the voice. So, Sarah, I know we're squeezing you in at the last minute today. I'm glad you came by. Uh, they have an event coming up on Friday the 13th, so maybe tell us about your hopes for that night, and that's going to be at the Stores Congregational Church. Wonderful. All right. right professional choir, um, Voices of Consinity, will be singing a performance up at Storrs Congregational Church, like you said, at 7 p.m. 
And it's a, a concert called Hearth on Finding Home. And the idea is it is meant to um, raise funds for Foster Independence Foundation, which is a nonprofit that works in Connecticut to help independent college students. And what that means are students that are facing um, issues at home, um, homelessness itself, um, or foster students, or foster foster. Um, Foster youth. I guess they're college students, but they're they're no longer living within the home. So that's right. Also, food insecurity too. Some of them are really stressed out over some basic food requirements, right? Absolutely. So this is to help them uh, successfully graduate. Yeah. So over the winter time, how has the group been doing? I know you meet on a regular basis. How have the recent events been going for turnout? Uh, The performances are amazing because you have voices, all registers, all together in harmony. Outside events, which Sarah talked about, working with outside spaces with no amplifiers. So how is the work going these days? It's going great. We performed at Carnegie Hall. Our Voices of Consenity performed at Carnegie Hall um, this past June by ourselves, which was very exciting. Um, And then we just recorded our very first um, album. Yeah, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you sent you. me a track this afternoon, but it was too late for me to get it. But oh. we'll get that music on, though. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Um, that hasn't been released yet. We're still in the process of getting um, yeah. all of But we did the recording process that um, is uh, already finished. And then we are performing at the Connecticut American Choral Directors Association Conference. So this is all the... Music educators, other choir directors, they have a conference um, in the fall. And so we're performing for that. And we're also performing for the American Choral Directors Eastern Region Conference later in the year. Well, actually, at the beginning of next year in March. So those are two really big moves for our professional choir. But our community choruses are doing fantastic. Our kids' choir has grown. um, And so we have teens from 14 to all the way down to 10 that are a part of that group. And then we have... Um, our smaller group for six-year-old to ten-year-olds for our, our Consonari Youth Choir. And then our um, soprano alto upper voice choir is also doing really well. And we have a concert coming up for that in November called Firelight. And where's that going to be? That's going to be right down the street at St. Mary's. Oh, wonderful. Maybe yeah. have you back in November? Yeah, you oh. should. You should. It's an exciting concert about all the music um, that happens around the fire. What do we? T- why? Why did music sort of develop and why did cultures sing around the campfire. Oh, you know, that's so much of our lost history is, you know, music is something, unless you made it yourself, it wasn't in your life. You had to go somewhere where they made music then. Absolutely. Right? And that's even, all... Yeah, and this Friday we have a actually a campfire sing coming up at Holiday Hill up in Mansfield. So it's open to anyone who wants to come. Yeah. But if it doesn't rain, that's our... <laughs> That's our caveat right now. Um, But, yeah, we have a lot on our calendar, so we hope folks will come check out our website at consonare-sing.org. Right, consonare-sing.org. They also have a Facebook page, which has also got information to follow as well to track it along. Uh, How did you decide what to put on the CD with your history, the different kinds of music you do? How did you decide to put the uh, the album together? Well, we were kind of looking at songs that um, sort of brought peace, comfort, just beautiful music that we've sung over the last five years. Mm-hmm. And so the CD is um, Awaiting Golden Light. So we have songs that have to do with, you know, s- the sun, uh, the moon, the stars, all those things that we sort of connect with um, globally and, and through humanity. And... Um, 
that's that's how we kind of picked that music. So we're looking forward to that. We're hoping it'll be released in March. All right. Well, we'll have to have you back in November for the St. Mary's show. Yeah. And maybe we'll have a, have a couple of tracks ready for that. That would be great. So once again, the event that we're talking about today is going to be on Friday, October 13th at 7 p.m. in stores at the Congregational Church. And it's a special theme there. It's also going to be a fundraiser, right? It's a fundraiser to benefit uh, the College Student Fund. Remember the name of the fund that you're helping with? Foster Independence Foundation. Foster Independence Foundation. Okay, well, we'll have more time next time Sarah joins us. We thank you for coming by today. I wish you a good turnout and good Great. work in the season ahead. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Okay, well, our time flies on the show. We're very glad to share some time with you and life on the radio. We'll see you next week for another edition. Take care.